You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Thank you guys for having me here today. For those of you, yeah. For those of you who don't know, my name is Chase Ferruccio. I'm the Fenwick uh, campus pastor, and it's such a joy and honor to be at Millsboro today. I'm so excited. I have not been here since before we started the Fenwick campus. So like 2020, it has been a long time. Um, So I'm so excited to be speaking here and talking to you guys today. It feels like coming home to be back here. Um, Many of you know me, probably, maybe, some of you well, some of you from a distance, maybe. I've been campus pastor of our Fenwick campus for about two years here at Bayshore. I'm the son of Reagan and Jeremy. Uh, I don't know if you can see the resemblance. Uh, my husband, Cali Ferruccio, our kids director at Fenwick. Best thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, very soon, I'm finishing up my bachelor's degree at Regent. I'm getting a major in biblical studies and a minor in Christian ministry. Um, you might know me a bit more if you've known me since 2020, before COVID. I started, was a part of the launch at the Fenwick campus. And before that, I left here after high school to go to Canada, of all places, to follow God. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that more. Um, and even further before that, you might remember me as an impulsive passionate, maybe a little obnoxious kid who played on the worship team and served in the booth. Um, Yeah, that's me a little bit. You might know those things about me, but there's much about my life that you do not know. Um, Things that I'm both happy and proud to speak of, but as you also hear, things that I'm not. When Pastor Danny asked me and others to speak in this series, I was both extremely excited and existentially nervous (laughs) to come up and share my story. The idea behind this series, which is a beautiful idea, is that God across all of history and in his church has been telling a story, the ultimate story, one of creation and fall, exile and restoration, salvation and resurrection. We're all players in God's great drama, people in in whom he writes this ultimate story. And thus, Pastor Danny asked us to come up and share exactly that, how God's fingerprints are all over our stories. Not for the sake of showing you how great we are, but instead to show you yourselves how God might be working in your story. So I sat down with our executive team and warned them, and I'm going to warn you now, there is a bit of a content warning on this sermon. We're going to talk about some heavy stuff. Um, So if you have children that you might not want to hear about some adult uh, topics, I'm going to give you opportunity now. We have great kids uh, uh, environments over there led by Sam and Lucy, and they do such an amazing job. Your kid will be better off uh, with them than with me. Um, but I just wanted to give you guys that opportunity if you wanted to use some discretion. Um, that being said, there are two characters in scripture that I've always resonated with for many different reasons. And you might think me pretentious after I say this, but Abraham and David have always been these two heroes of the faith that I have always looked up to and resonated with. There's two people called and chosen to lead God's people. And I've always felt this calling to lead in ministry. They both relied heavily on God's faithfulness. And I have always wanted to be someone like them who relied on God's faithfulness in every season. 
I felt called to uh, be a man like David after God's own heart as a child. And I went to Canada and I felt this kinship with David or Abraham called to go somewhere I know not where in faithfulness to God and trust in him fully. Yet my story is broken much like theirs as well. As I said, you may know me or have an idea of me and have, as a result, a certain opinion of me. I'm, after all, a very young pastor, the son of a long line of pastors on my mother and my father's side. Uh, You know that Pastor Reagan and Jeremy are my parents, as I said before. What you may not realize is I've been in ministry for about 23 years, which is all of my life. That's me. What happened to him? I was obsessed with the Bible and Jesus and the idea of following him and being in ministry to the point of I would write sermons at home and preach them to my family. I think we have, yep, there it is. Not proud of that one. Man. Yeah, most families were having game nights, watching movies, and I was uh, giving altar calls at dinner and calling my siblings to repentance. Uh, one night at a church revival meeting at our church we grew up at, uh, the speaker said he felt like he needed to pray for our family specifically. And so he called all of us up, brought us up on stage. And I have no idea. I do not remember at all what he said to everyone else. Um, but I'll never forget the things that he said to me, though. He said that I would be a man like David, a man after God's own heart. And this is probably one of the reasons why David has been a sort of patron, patron saint for me and set the trajectory of my life in a number of ways. I've always loved the Bible. Uh, Yeah, I got that for Christmas one year. You might have been upset. I was over the moon to get that book. Um, In fact, one night at dinner, um, I was talking up, being obnoxious, something, go figure, and said something, you know, I shouldn't have or did something. And my parents said, all right, that's it. Go to your room. And I was like, fine, I'll go to my room. And then as I'm halfway to my room down the hall, my mom says, and go get me your Bible, which is not something that you usually hear. And I came back and had to, you know, I was like, no, and I gave my Bible and my dad, I remember whenever my mom or dad will tell this story, they said, my dad like laughed and was like, so this is how he disciplined our children by taking away God's word. Because I was happy to just go to my room and read my Bible. I was wanting to be a pastor and preach. I remember one night I read the Great Commission for the first time. I was in my bedroom uh, up way past when I should have been laying on the floor reading my Bible. And I remember reading, I reached the end of Matthew's gospel for the first time ever. And I read the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus tells the disciples he's been raised from the dead. And he says, go out into all the nations and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I felt this intense stirring in my heart, this deep fire like in my bones when I read it. And I ran into my parents' room weeping, telling them that I was going to make disciples for Jesus. And they were like, okay, go to bed. Likely because of that story, I thought I would be a missionary or a worldwide preacher or something like that. And so at the time, I was obsessed with basketball and Space Jam and Michael Jordan. And my parents, by the way, were amazing basketball players and wanted me to be one to the point that when they would tell people, like when they were thinking about what my name would be, my dad would say my name out loud like an announcer at a basketball game and be like, Chase first. Yeah, nope, see, it doesn't work. He can't be announced that way. People are going to make fun of him. Like that's how basketball we were. And I was, when I grew, when I was growing up, they taught me to play basketball and trained me to the point that if my jump shot form was off, I was doing five minute wall sets outside. Needless to say, obviously I did not go and travel the world and play basketball. So my plan was to 
be the best basketball player in the world and then just, you know, easily, and then use that money to launch ministries and write books and preach. But obviously that did not happen and I'm here now, but I can tell you my jump shot is still ridiculous and I don't mind going back on defense. So if anybody's out there playing, let me know. I served alongside my parents and siblings in ministry uh, in church all my life. There's me and my sister Aubrey singing at a Christmas event at Emmanuel Wesleyan. Uh, when I was older, I got into high school. We were attending Bayshore by then, and I just began to sense that God was calling me to something specific after high school, but it wasn't college, which, by the way, was weird because I was very excited about going to college, which is why I'm in it now. So at first, I thought I was going to go to Hillsong, go to the Gold Coast of Australia. It was going to be amazing, but pretty quickly, God was like, nope, that's not it. And so I was searching for answers. I felt like God was calling me to do something. So as normal 17 year olds do. I decided to call a month long fast with my best friend, JT, uh, who is also now my brother-in-law. That's a different sermon. Uh, we did a harsh Daniel fast where we were supposed to search for God's wisdom and prayer, right? And seek for me, I was seeking, what did God want me to do? First day of the fast, I get into my room. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord. And I immediately I'm bored and just decided to read my old journals for some reason. And I've Weird thing about me, I've journaled since I was in like first grade. And so I have these journals from when I was a child. And in one of them, actually all over most of them, were these journal entries about wanting to preach the Bible and to be a pastor and to follow God no matter where he called me to. And I had this moment where it felt like God said to me that, hey, you may have forgotten, but I have been here since the beginning and that I have you. And so in this process, I will be with you and will carry you to the next place. Later during the fast, I was alone at work, not working actually, and listening to a sermon. Uh, and I was listening to this guy named Mark Clark from this church in Canada that me and my dad had recently gotten into. And he talked about VSOM, Village School of Ministry. And it was like I got hit by lightning. I never heard God audibly speak, but that was about as close as I've ever gotten. And I just knew that that's where God was taking me. And so I started trying to figure it out. I had a lot of awkward conversations with friends where they're like, I'm going to this school. I'm doing all these extracurriculars. I'm, I'm, you know, we're all going to apply to SU because Salisbury University, it's like our backup school. Like if you can't get into wherever else you're going to go, you bet you apply for SU. And they were like, Chase, today's the day. You applying for SU? And I was like, nope. They're like, why? I was like, well, um, because I feel like God told me to go to Canada. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. And my friends were like, all right. It didn't make any sense especially if you didn't follow Jesus. And so I just kept having these experiences. But one time I was with a good friend of mine, Aaron Brumley, who's telling me about his life. And he said that my confidence is in his faithfulness. And this became the slogan of my life in that moment, that no matter what God was calling me to do, my confidence is not in my ability, but in his faithfulness. I felt like Abraham called to go to a different land that I knew not where and trust in God's faithfulness. There's a picture of both Aaron and JT. If we have it, there they are. Look at us, just little kids. So that actually, at that camp, we're at Rockbridge Young Life Camp. And that week was about three weeks before I was supposed to leave for Canada. And I still didn't have a place to live. <laughs> and I remember not only my friends now, but my mom and dad who had been very loving up to that point were like, Chase, you can't go. You don't have anywhere to live when you get there. And I was like, I believe that God's called me to go. So I'm going to go. And so we get to camp and I have to put my phone away for a week. And so I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that if this is what you've called me to do, that you're going to provide. So I put my phone away and I kid you not, 
Five minutes after I turned my phone on that, after that week, I got a call from the guy, who, Victor, who's in charge of the school, and he said, hey, we got a place for you to live. And not only that, but it's way cheaper than where you were going to be living. And so I went away to Canada. I did it, followed God out there, and here's some pictures. Uh, These are my best friends in the program. That's Tynan, uh, Brayden, Connor, and Mark. Those are my guys. I still love them and, hang, and try to talk to them. Uh, and then there's another picture. This is my pastor, Chris, who prayed over me and was my kind of mentor while I was there. I learned so much. I truly believe that I went away a boy or a young adult and came back a man. There's something powerful about being disconnected and forced to trust in God and to rely on yourself and figure things out. After Canada, I came home to get, start getting my degree, which I'm about to finish up, and marry Callie. Yes. Again, best thing I ever did. I met her when I was 15, told her I was going to marry her when we were 16. She looked at me like I was crazy, but here we are. So who won in the end? Me. Uh, did you know that 0.9% of high school sweethearts make it to marriage? 0.9%. Look at, I mean, I have killed it. We're doing amazing. I started in ministry at the young age of 21 at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in Salisbury um, after helping launch the Fenwick campus. And then eventually, uh, the week I married, Callie actually accepted the, accepted the position to come work here two years ago. As I said, I've always felt this big calling, this deep sense of purpose and being chosen to follow God in a ministry. And here I am, 23, married, about to finish my degree and working here at this amazing church. God has been unbelievably good to me and in my life has been so, so faithful. Now, that paints a certain picture of me, right? One of this holy, young, passionate saint who followed God and was, you know, living this perfect life. But before you exalt me, let me, let me share with you my humanity. Here's what you might not know about me. I was sexually abused by a teenage girl at our church as a child around the age of seven-ish. And I'm not exactly sure when, because uh, I didn't remember it till I was 17 or 18. Uh, in sixth grade at the age of 12, I was unwillingly and unknowingly exposed to pornography. As a result, you can imagine I've struggled with the distorted view of sexuality all of my life, hurting myself and many other people as a result of the pain and sinfulness in me. But those things are only really responsible for my brokenness to a certain point, right? At some point, you go back past being a victim and being a willing participant in the things that have been done to you. Pornography became a self-medication, it was a way of escaping the pain that I didn't even remember because I was so young. It became ingrained in me. In around ninth grade, I went through in a kind of identity crisis. My father stepped out of ministry after uh, over a decade of ministry. Uh, and I realized, oh no, I don't know who I am if I'm not the pastor's kid. I realized that my whole identity had been built around being this leader, being this certain person in church in relation to my parents. And so for that, I was angry at God and I was angry at my parents. I felt abandoned by the people at our church for a number of reasons. I went from someone they talked to every day and checked in on to someone they didn't even talk to. Because no longer was I Jeremy and Reagan's son, I was just another kid at the church. And so for that reason, I rejected any notion of ministry or leadership. I felt like people at the church didn't care about me as a young boy, hurt, broken, and searching for purpose and meaning. 
They saw me as a tool, the pastor's son, a leader. You can see how the pornography would have become a coping mechanism in the midst of all of this. And yet, as I shared earlier, God has lavished his love and grace on me. And I say all of this not to revel in any of it or, or create a sense of false humility, but to show you guys honestly both sides of me, the sides that you know and the sides that I never wanted to tell anyone. I'm a broken man, broken both by what has been done to me as well as what I myself have done to others, hurting other people in an attempt to numb my own pain. See, I always wanted to be like David and Abraham, wanted to follow God and make big faithful decisions and take risks to follow Jesus. What I didn't want was to be broken like they were to experience the sexual dysfunction and abuse that they went through. Abraham was dysfunctional, sexually, and abusive. Kind of a coward. David took advantage of a woman and had her husband murdered to cover it up. They were heroes of faith, though, both quoted in that famous passage in Hebrews about the hall of faith. But they were also weak, sinful, and broken. I am weak sinful and broken. I've hated myself for my weaknesses, avoided God because of it. I'm not good enough, right? Not only that, but God, please don't let ever anyone ever know how messed up I am. They think I'm a leader. They think I'm the perfect pastor's kid, so perfect and holy. They'll find, what if they find out that I'm abused, that I'm broken in pieces? What if they find out I'm addicted to pornography, drowning in my own pain? They'll reject me. They'll hurt me. They'll realize I am a fraud, not allowed to even cross the doors of a church, much less lead one. I certainly wasn't going to tell anyone. I needed to fight it on my own, right? Prove to God, myself, and everyone else that I could be good enough. But that's where God's love broke me further. Because God does not just use perfect people. He uses broken broken, foolish, sinful, and weak people of which I am one. Paul in 2 Corinthians says this, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says it's in our strength, it's in our weaknesses that strength is revealed. That it's actually somehow in my pain that God's strength comes and wraps me up. Even despite all my sin, my brokenness, my trauma, God has worked to turn my life into something beautiful something that he chose could be a vessel of his love and grace and strength. But I didn't have to be perfect to do it. I just had to let go of my pride that demanded that I be good enough and learn to be vulnerable, to trust God and those he gave me that love me. I eventually told Callie and my best friend and now brother-in-law, JT. Years later, I told my parents and my family, now all of you, <laughs> I've been in therapy now with a Christian counselor at Faithful Counseling for a year and a half now. 
This is a battle I've been fighting for my entire life. And to this day, fighting for my purity, mourning the innocence that was stolen from me, letting God reorder my desires and healing from my own trauma that was done to me as well as the things that I have done to other people. But God has been working in all of it throughout all my life. He has been weaving these pieces together to remake me into his image, his son. I thought my sins and the sins done to me made me disqualified from the call I felt in my life and worse, incapable of love or being loved. And the world right now says, yeah, you're absolutely right. But God reveals his wisdom in his love that seems foolish and reckless to the world. This is why I won't hide my brokenness. I'm not here to project that I've got it all together and I'm perfect. I'm sinful. Not like I eat too much and I fib to my wife sometimes, like I'm genuinely broken. It's taken me all of my life to realize this, to crucify my own ego that says I have to be good enough. That it's because of God's mercy and grace that I'm here. I'm not perfect, and yet as I reveal my imperfections to him and to his church, he reveals his strength and his love. When you and I confess our sins, we seek forgiveness, his mercy and grace come to us and display his amazing, wondrous love. And as I am vulnerable and weak, then it is when his strength is revealed. It's only now that I'm able to stand like Joseph, who also was sexually abused, who was sold by his brothers into slavery. It's only now that I can say the words of Joseph, that what you meant for evil, God has turned around for good. Have you guys ever heard of kintsugi art? No? It's a form of Japanese art in which the artist takes something that is broken and forges it back together uh, to make something new, something stronger and more beautiful. Many Christian artists and pastors have already made this connection, so I'm sure you may have heard it before. But just like the kintsugi art takes what is broken and makes something not only stronger but more beautiful than the original, God comes and takes the broken pieces of your story and makes something stronger and more beautiful. My story is certainly unique in some ways. It's broken. The cracks look different. But I'm sure that all of you can relate that your story is not what you imagined it would be as a child, that you're broken in certain ways. I know that many of you have probably been where I've been and even experienced some of the things that I have talked about today, sexual abuse, pornography, identity crisis, thinking that there's no way God could use me, thinking that, he could never even love me because of what I've done and what's been done to me. I know that many of you listening to the sound of my voice are in a similar situation. And I want you to know that I've been there. I'm still tempted to wallow there, to feel that way. And I won't lie to you. It's not, it's not been easy. It's painful. I'm not here to give easy answers to your trauma or your sinfulness or brokenness. I'm not here to sidestep your pain, you know, prescribe you, hey, take two Psalms and a gospel story, call me in the morning. I'm not gonna do that. But here's what I can say. 
One is a line from one of my favorite songwriters of all time. His name is John Mark McMillan. He wrote the song we sang today, How He Loves. There's a quote from his song called The Road, The Rocks, and The Weeds. And he's writing about this immense pain of the human experience. And even further, how he's wrestling with the problem of suffering and evil in the world. How could a good God allow such suffering and pain? To make it more personal, how could a good God allow me to be abused as a child? Listen to what he writes. Come down from your mountain, your high-rise apartment, and tell me of the God you know who bleeds. And what to tell my daughter when she asks so many questions and I fail to fill her heaviness with peace. When I've got no answers for hurt knees or cancers, but a savior who suffers them with me. Singing goodbye Olympus, the heart of my maker is spread out on the road, the rocks and the weeds. He's talking about this idea of the gods or God as high up in a way, not interested, not involved on Olympus, the mountain of the gods, a high rise apartment, a prestigious position. He talks about that God comes down out of those places and bleeds for you and for me. He's saying, I don't know the best answer to your suffering or your pain. I can't, I can't logic that for you. I can't rationalize why that happened to you. But what I can tell you is a, a savior suffers them with you. That there is a God who came to bleed with you, for you, in your place. There's, so, there's great philosophical and theological arguments that we could go through and books you could read about why God allows suffering and what's the purpose and how could he allow these things. I think there's great answers, but I think the best response is this one. I don't have for answer, answers for my pains and traumas, but I know I have a Savior who suffers them with me who comes down from the mountains to spread his love into the dirty, broken places and enter our suffering in with us. See, the cross is God himself coming to identify, to enter in, to take on to himself your suffering and to make a way for you to be healed from it. God loves you so much that he came to suffer in your place with us in our pain. He came to heal you. I am only standing here today because that is true. Only faithfully married to my wife today because it's true. And it's true for you too. Don't hold on to your pride that says that you have to be better or be good enough. Give yourself to the love of him who comes down to meet you in your mess. Don't give in to the despair that holds you back from all that God has for you. He loves you. He is not happy that you have suffered, that you have gone through things. He's not happy about the trauma in your life. But my gosh, does he love you? His heart is broken for you. His body broken for you. God was not satisfied to leave us in our mess, in our pain. He wants to heal and love us if we would just bring ourselves and our stories to him. He's not going to leave you there, but he wants to transform your story so that your broken pieces 
the disintegrated, fractured parts of you can be stitched together back into an integrated whole where you can do what you were created to do, be what you were created to be, which is his son and daughter, loved and wrapped up in his arms. He wants to make Kintsugi art with your story and interweave it into the great story of love, sacrifice, and redemption that he has been telling since the beginning. Second, what I'll say, in fact, what I cannot say, is that, you know, I just did a lot of journaling and processing alone with God in nature and posted some pictures of me with my Bible and my coffee angled just right. And then I figured it out that way, that me and God, you know, figured it out. Not true. Not possible, even. I didn't heal because I kept it to myself and God and I just healed it privately and no one had to know and it was fine. No, a prerequisite of the journey of healing is realizing that God could actually use you, of realizing that is confessing and sharing that journey. I'm here today, not because I John Wayne'd it when pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and went out on into the unknown with Jesus, just me and him. You know, every time in the New Testament that the Bible, almost every time that the New Testament says the word you in the Greek, it's not actually, trans, it shouldn't be translated just you singular. It's actually a better tra- translation is y'all. You all. It's not a personal, private journey. Paul, Jesus, and Peter, all the writers of the New Testament are assuming that you are reading this Bible in community and that his commands and, and, and exhortations are to be taken in community together. I did not experience healing until I realized that I can't do it on my own and I have to confess and share to the people around me, which is the hardest thing I've ever done. In fact, I'm always more ashamed and down on myself when it's just me. When it's just me, the only thing that's there is my ego and my broken view of myself. But when I have shared with others, confessed to others, been vulnerable, my wife, Callie, my best friend and brother-in-law, JT, Nate Williams, a longtime mentor, now my coworker and one of my deepest, closest friends, my family and my siblings, my pastors here at the church. That is when I have experienced freedom and restoration because they reminded me of God's promises and his forgiveness and spoke it over me. James says this in his letter to the church, James 5, 16, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. You notice the the order of that? So that, make this a common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray so that you can live whole and healed. A prerequisite of the journey is confessing your sins to one another so that you might be healed. Those broken pieces of glass 
of your life, the shattered, broken pieces, can only be made whole, living together whole, when you confess your sins and bring them to God and to the people that love you and support you. There is healing in speaking out loud to someone else in vulnerability what you have done, what has happened to you, and the beautiful good things in your life as well. Hearing your brother and sister in Jesus speaking forgiveness, love, and the grace of God over you in return. Today I have shared the deepest parts of my story, the parts I've never wanted to tell anyone. And I imagine it could be one just like yours, full of pain and brokenness, yes, but also redemption, healing, and love. In this series, we're sharing our stories not for self-gratification or to say, look at me, but instead to help you guys look at your own life and to begin to see the fingerprints of God all over your story. Each of us is a part of this story. Last week, we asked you to spend time praying and reflecting on your story with Pastor Jeff, getting honest with yourself and with God. And that's hard. It's not easy. But I'm gonna ask you to do something even a little harder but at the same time, more freeing. First, I want you to trust that God is with you, that he's with you in your suffering, that he cares about what has happened to you. Trust that he's working to redeem those things, to bring those broken pieces back together and make something stronger and more beautiful than what you were before. And second, we want you to set aside time again this week. Last week, we wanted you to process your story before God. This time we want you to set aside time to share that story with someone. Don't worry, I'm not asking you to get up here like me and do this. Just find one person, a friend, a mentor, a family member. You might be thinking of somebody right now. Don't ignore that, lean into that. Share with someone your story, the good, the bad, and all the in-between. You can just text them and say, hey, do you have any time to talk this week? I just want to share something with you on my heart. And I want you to experience that love and forgiveness. It's scary. I was never more scared than when I told my girlfriend, Callie at the time, now my wife, how broken I was. We were talking the other day. What was your first impression of me? Like, what, you know, what did we think about each other? She said I was cute, that I was really fun. Uh, and then we said, you know, what did you, what did you find out? She said, I found out that you were hiding how sincere and sensitive you were and that you were hiding your sinfulness because I was scared that if I told her that I would lose her, that if I told her what had been done to me, what I had been doing, that she would give up on me that I wasn't a good enough man for her to love and to marry. So I was, I've never been more scared in my entire life than when I told her all of those things, weeping on the floor. She loved me. The love of Jesus came to me through her in forgiveness and grace. That is what happens when you tell your story when you share your story, your brokenness with someone who loves Jesus, they will be the love of Jesus to you. So we want you to set aside that time, reflect on your story and share it with someone. I promise you that on the other side of that death is a resurrection. 
when you begin to process and share your story, it is painful. But on the other side, you experience healing, love, and forgiveness. You experience the peace of God in your life, knowing that he has always been with you, that he is here with you now, and that he always will be with you, writing his story in the chapters of your life. The things that have happened to you, the things that you have done, do not disqualify you from the love of God. It is actually because of your brokenness that Jesus comes to die for you. It is because you need him that he comes to save you. So let yourself need him. You don't have to do it on your own. You weren't made to do it on your own. I implore you this week to, cur to have courage be strong and courageous and share your story. Not out loud with all these people, not in a big group setting, not just with one person that you trust, that you know that loves you. And I promise you that on the other side of the fear of sharing your story, the fear of rejection, you will experience the warm embrace and the loving arms of Jesus. I am here because of that. Because Jesus moved in me because he deemed me worthy of his love. The Bible says that even while we were still sinners, even still enemies of God, that he loved us and died for us. He wants to bring you his love and his healing. We want you to see that his story, his fingerprints are all over your life. So take some time this week, be bold and courageous, reach out to that person and share the story of what God has been doing of where you're broken, where you're in need of love and forgiveness and also the beautiful and good things that he's been doing all throughout it. You will begin to see how he has put you back together. Can we put up that picture of the Kintsugi art one more time? Those very places where you are cracked and broken, shattered, will become the places of the greatest display of God's love in your life. We wanna put our best foot forward we want to come out and everybody love us and think well of us. The Bible says that it's those cracks right there, that those are the places where God's love and strength are on full display in your life. If you would only be courageous enough to share it, to experience, to experience God moving in and through your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we welcome you in this place. It is because of you that we are saved. It is because of you that we are healed. Not because we're perfect. Not because we did anything to deserve it, but because of the love in your heart for your children. Lord, open our eyes to see the ways in which you have been moving in our life this entire time. Let us see that you're not happy about our brokenness and our sin, but you're grieved over it. You want to come heal us and bring us through it. And Lord, give us the courage to share, to experience taking up our cross so that we might experience love and resurrection on the other side. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.